chapter one of the conquest of new france this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. the conquest of new france by george wrong chapter one the conflict opens frontenac and phipps many centuries of european history had been marked by war almost ceaseless between france and england when these two states first confronted each other in america the conflict for the new world was but the continuation of an age-long antagonism in the old intensified now by the savagery of the wilderness and by new dreams of empire there was another potent cause of strife which had not existed in the earlier days when during the fourteenth and fifteenth centuries the antagonists had fought through the interminable hundred years war they had been of the same religious faith since then however england had become protestant while france had remained catholic when the rivals first met on the shores of the new world colonial america was still very young it was in sixteen o seven that the english occupied virginia at the same time the french were securing a foothold in acadia now nova scotia six years had barely passed when the english captain argall sailed to the north from virginia and destroyed the rising french settlements sixteen years after this another english force attacked and captured quebec presently these conquests were restored france remained in possession of the st lawrence and in virtual possession of acadia the english colonies holding a great stretch of the atlantic seaboard increased in number and power new france also grew stronger the steady hostility of the rivals never wavered there was indeed little open warfare as long as the two crowns remained at peace from sixteen sixty to sixteen eighty eight the stuart rulers of england remained subservient to their cousin the bourbon king of france and at one with him in religious faith but after the fall of the stuarts france bitterly denounced the new king william of orange as both a heretic and a usurper and attacked the english in america with a savage fury unknown in europe from sixteen ninety to seventeen sixty the combatants fought with little more than pauses for renewed preparation and the conflict ended only when france yielded to england the mastery of her empire in america it is the story of this struggle covering a period of seventy years which is told in the following pages the career of louis de bode comte de frontenac who was governor of canada from sixteen seventy two to sixteen eighty two and again from sixteen eighty nine to his death in sixteen ninety eight reveals both the merits and the defects of the colonizing genius of france frontenac was a man of noble birth whose life had been spent in court and camp the story of his family so far as it is known is a story of attendance upon the royal house of france his father and uncles had been playmates of the young dauphin afterwards louis the thirteenth the thoughts familiar to frontenac in his youth remained with him through life and when he went to rule at quebec the very spirit that dominated the court at versailles crossed the sea with him 
a man is known by the things he loves the things which frontenac most highly cherished were marks of royal favour the ceremony due to his own rank the right to command he was an egoist supremely interested in himself he was poor but at his country seat in france near blois he kept open house in the style of a great noble always he bore himself as one to whom much was due his guests were expected to admire his indifferent horses as the finest to be seen his gardens as the most beautiful his clothes as of the most effective cut and finish the plate on his table as of the best workmanship and the food as having superior flavour he scolded his equals as if they were naughty children yet there was genius in this showy court figure in sixteen sixty nine when the venetian republic had asked france to lend her an efficient soldier to lead against the rampant turk the great marshal turenne had chosen frontenac for the task creed which frontenac was to rescue the turk indeed had taken but it is said at the fearful cost of a hundred and eighty thousand men three years later frontenac had been sent to canada to war with the savage iroquois and to hold in check the aggressive designs of the english he had been recalled in sixteen eighty two after ten years of service chiefly on account of his arbitrary temper he had quarrelled with the bishop he had bullied the intendant until at one time that harried official had barricaded his house and armed his servants he had told the jesuit missionaries that they thought more of selling beaver skins than of saving souls he had insulted those about him sulked threatened foamed at the mouth in rage revealed a childish vanity in regard to his dignity and a hunger insatiable for marks of honour from the king more grateful he once said than anything else to a heart shaped to the right pattern france however now required at quebec a man who could do the needed man's tasks the real worth of frontenac had been tested and so in sixteen eighty nine when england had driven from her shores her catholic king and when france's colony across the sea seemed to be in grave danger from the iroquois allies of the english frontenac was sent again to quebec to subdue these savages and if he could to destroy in america the power of the age-long enemy of his country perched high above the st lawrence on a noble site where now is a public terrace and a great hotel stood the chateau st louis the scene of frontenac's rule as head of the colony no other spot in the world commanded such a highway linking the inland waters with the sea the french had always an eye for points of strategic value and in holding quebec they hoped to possess the pivot on which the destinies of north america should turn for a long time it seemed indeed as if this glowing vision might become a reality the imperial ideas which were working at quebec were based upon the substantial realities of trade the instinct for business was hardly less strong in these keen adventurers than the instinct for empire in promise of trade the interior of north america was rich to-day its vast agriculture and its wealth and minerals have brought rewards beyond the dreams of two hundred years ago the wealth however sought by the leaders of that time came from furs in those wastes of river lake and forest were the richest preserves in the world for fur-bearing animals 
this vast wilderness was not an unoccupied land in those wild regions dwelt many savage tribes some of the natives were by no means without political capacity on the contrary they were long clever enough to pit english against french to their own advantage as the real sovereigns in north america one of them whose fluent oratory had won for him the name of big mouth told the governor of canada in sixteen eighty eight that his people held their lands from the great spirit that they yielded no lordship to either the english or the french that they well understood the weakness of the french and were quite able to destroy them but that they wished to be friends with both french and english who brought to them the advantages of trade in sagacity of counsel and dignity of carriage some of these indians so bore themselves that to trained observers they seemed not unequal to the diplomats of europe they were however weak before the superior knowledge of the white men in all their long centuries in america they had learned nothing of the use of iron their sharpest tool had been made of chipped obsidian or of hammered copper their most potent weapons had been the stone hatchet or axe and the bow and arrow it thus happened that when steel and gunpowder reached america the natives soon came to despise their primitive implements more and more they craved the supplies from europe which multiplied in a hundred ways their strength in the conflict with nature and with man to the indian tribes trade with the french or english soon became a vital necessity from the far northwest for a thousand miles to the bleak shores of hudson bay from the banks of the mississippi to the banks of the st lawrence and the hudson they came each year on laborious journeys paddling their canoes and carrying them over portages to barter furs for the things which they must have and which the white man alone could supply the iroquois the ablest and most resolute of the native tribes held the lands bordering on lake ontario which commanded the approaches from both the hudson and the st lawrence by the great lakes to the spacious regions of the west the five tribes known as the iroquois had shown marked political talent by forming themselves into a confederacy from the time of champlain the founder of quebec there had been trouble between the french and the iroquois in spite of this bad beginning the french had later done their best to make friends with the powerful confederacy they had sent to them devoted missionaries many of whom met the martyr's reward of torture and massacre but the opposing influence of the english with whom the iroquois chiefly traded proved too strong with the iroquois hostile it was too dangerous for the french to travel inland by way of lake ontario they had it is true a shorter and indeed a better route farther north by way of the ottawa river and lake nipissing to lake huron in time however the iroquois made even this route unsafe their power was far-reaching and their ambition limitless they aimed to be masters of north america like all virile but backward peoples they believed themselves superior to every other race their orators declared that the fate of the world was to turn on their policy on frontenac's return to canada he had a stormy inheritance in confronting the iroquois they had real grievances against france denonville frontenac's predecessor had met their treachery by treachery of his own louis the fourteenth had found that these lusty savages made excellent galley slaves and had ordered denonville to secure a supply in canada in consequence the frenchmen seized even friendly iroquois and sent them overseas to france the savages in retaliation exacted a fearful vengeance in the butchery of french colonists 
the bloodiest story in the annals of canada is the massacre at lachine a village a few miles above montreal on the night of august fourth sixteen eighty nine fourteen hundred iroquois burst in on the village and a wild orgy of massacre followed all canada was in a panic some weeks later frontenac arrived at quebec and took command to the old soldier now in his seventieth year his hard task was not uncongenial he had fought the savage iroquois before and the no less savage turk he belonged to that school of military action which knows no scruple in its methods and he was prepared to make war with all the frightfulness practised by the savages themselves his resolute blustering demeanour was well fitted to impress the red men of the forest for an imperious eye will sometimes cow and indian as well as a lion and frontenac's mien was imperious in his life in court and camp he had learned how to command the english in new york had professed to be brothers to the iroquois and had called them by that name this title of equality however frontenac would not yield kings speak of my people frontenac spoke to the indians not as his brothers but as his children and as children of the great king whom he served he was their father their protector the disposer and controller of mighty reserves of power who loved and cared for those putting their trust in him he could unbend to play with their children and give presents to their squaws at times he seemed patient gentle and forgiving at times too he swaggered and boasted in terms which the event did not always justify la porterie a cultivated frenchman in canada during frontenac's regime describes an amazing scene at montreal which seems to show that whether frontenac recognized the title or not he had qualities which made him the real brother of the savages in sixteen ninety huron and other indian allies of the french had come from the far interior to trade and also to consider the eternal question of checking the iroquois at the council which began with grave decorum a huron orator begged the french to make no terms with the iroquois frontenac answered in the high tone which he could so well assume he would fight them until they should humbly crave peace he would make with them no treaty except in concert with his indian allies whom he would never fail in fatherly care to impress the council by the reality of his oneness with the indians frontenac now seized a tomahawk and brandished it in the air shouting at the same time the indian war-song the whole assembly french and indians joined in a wild orgy of war of passion and the old man of seventy fresh from the court of louis the fourteenth led in the war-dance yelled with the indians their savage war-whoops danced round the circle of the council and showed himself in spirit a brother of the wildest of them this was good diplomacy the savages swore to make war to the end under his lead many a frontier outrage many a village attacked in the dead of night and burned amidst bloody massacre of its few toil-worn settlers was to be the result of that strange mingling of europe with wild america frontenac's task was to make war on the english and their iroquois allies he had before him the king's instructions as to the means for effecting this the king aimed at nothing less than the conquest of the english colonies in america in sixteen sixty four the english by a sudden blow in time of peace had captured new netherland the dutch colony on the hudson which then became new york now a quarter of a century later france thought to strike a similar blow against the english and louis the fourteenth was resolved that the conquest should be thorough-going 
the dutch power had fallen before a meagre naval force the english now would have to face one much more formidable two french ships were to cross the sea and to lie in wait near new york meanwhile from canada sixteen hundred armed men a thousand of them french regular troops were to advance by land into the heart of the colony seize albany and all the boats there available and descend by the hudson to new york the warships hovering off the coast would then enter new york harbor at the same time that the land forces made their attack the village for it was hardly more than this contained as the french believed only some two hundred houses and four hundred fighting men and it was thought that a month would suffice to complete this whole work of conquest once victors the french were to show no pity all private property but that of catholics was to be confiscated catholics whether english or dutch were to be left undisturbed if not too numerous and if they would take the oath of allegiance to louis the fourteenth and show some promise of keeping it rich protestants were to be held for ransom all the other inhabitants except those whom the french might find useful for their own purposes were to be driven out of the colony homeless wanderers to be scattered far so that they could not combine to recover what they had lost with new york taken new england would be so weakened that in time it too would fall such was the plan of conquest which came from the brilliant chambers at versailles new york did not fall the expedition so carefully planned came to nothing frontenac had never shown much faith in the enterprise at quebec on his arrival in the autumn of sixteen eighty nine he was planning something less ideally perfect but certain to produce results the scarred old courtier intended so to terrorize the english that they should make no aggressive advance to encourage the french to believe themselves superior to their rivals and above all to prove to the indian tribes that prudence dictated alliance with the french and not with the english frontenac wrote a tale of blood there were three war parties one set out from montreal against new york and one from three rivers and one from quebec against the frontier settlements of new hampshire and maine to describe one is to describe all a band of one hundred and sixty frenchmen with nearly as many indians gathers at montreal in midwinter the ground is deep with snow and they troop on snowshoes across the white wastes dragging on sleds they the needed supplies they march up the Richelieu river and over the frozen surface of lake champlain as they advance with caution into the colony of new york they suffer terribly now from bitter cold now from thaws which make the soft trail almost impassable on a february night their scouts tell them that they are near schenectady on the english frontier there are young members of the canadian noblesse in the party in the dead of night they creep up to the paling which surrounds the village the signal is given and the village is awakened by the terrible war-whoop doors are smashed by axes and hatchets and women and children are killed as they lie in bed or kneel shrieking for mercy houses are set on fire and living human beings are thrown into the flames by midday the assailants have finished their dread work and are retreating along the forest paths dragging with them a few miserable captives in this winter of sixteen eighty nine to ninety raiding parties also came back from the borders of new hampshire and of maine with news of similar exploits and quebec and montreal glowed with the joy of victory far away an answering attack was soon on foot sir william phipps of massachusetts the son of a poor settler on the kennebec river had made his first advance in life by taking up the trade of carpenter in boston only when grown up had he learned to read and write he married a rich wife and ease of circumstances freed his mind for great designs some fifty years before he was thus relieved of material cares a spanish galleon carrying vast wealth had been wrecked in the west indies phipps now planned to raise the ship and get the money 
for this enterprise he obtained support in england and set out on his exacting adventure on the voyage his crew mutinied armed with cutlasses they told phipps that he must turn pirate or perish but he attacked the leader with his fists and triumphed by sheer strength of body and will a second mutiny he also quelled and then took his ship to jamaica where he got rid of its worthless crew his enterprise had apparently failed but the second duke of albemarle and other powerful men believed in him and helped him to make another trial this time he succeeded in finding the wreck on the coast of hispaniola and took possession of its cargo of precious metals and jewels treasure to the value of three hundred thousand pounds sterling of the spoil phipps himself received sixteen thousand pounds a great fortune for a new englander in those days he was also knighted for his services and in the end was named by william and mary the first royal governor of massachusetts massachusetts whose people had been thoroughly aroused by the french incursions resolved to retaliate by striking at the heart of canada by sea and to take quebec sir william phipps though not yet made governor would lead the expedition the first blow fell in acadia phipps sailed up the bay of fundy and on may eleventh sixteen ninety landed a force before port royal the french governor surrendered on terms the conquest was intended to be final and the people were offered their lives and property on the condition of taking the oath to be loyal subjects of william and mary this many of them did and were left unmolested it was a bloodless victory but phipps the puritan crusader was something of a pirate he plundered private property and was himself accused of taking not merely the silver forks and spoons of the captive governor but even his wigs shirts garters and nightcaps the boston puritans joyfully pillaged the church at port royal and overturned the high altar and the images the booty was considerable and by the end of may phipps a prosperous hero was back in boston boston was aflame with zeal to go on and conquer canada by the middle of august phipps had set out on the long sea voyage to quebec with twenty-two hundred men a great force for a colonial enterprise of that time and in all some forty ships the voyage occupied more than two months apparently the hardy carpenter sailor able enough to carry through a difficult undertaking with a single ship lacked the organizing skill to manage a great expedition he performed however the feat of navigating safely with his fleet the treacherous waters of the lower st lawrence on the morning of october sixteenth sixteen ninety watchers at quebec saw the fleet concerning which they had already been warned rounding the head of the island of orleans and sailing into the broad basin breathless spectators counted the ships there were thirty-four in sight a few large vessels some mere fishing craft it was a spectacle well calculated to excite and alarm the good people of quebec they might however take comfort in the knowledge that their great frontenac was present to defend them a few days earlier he had been in montreal but when there had come the startling news of the approach of the enemy's ships he had hurried down the river and had been received with shouts of joy by the anxious populace the situation was one well suited to frontenac's genius for the dramatic when a boat under a flag of truce put out from the english ships frontenac hurried four canoes to meet it the english envoy was placed blindfold in one of these canoes and was paddled to the shore here two soldiers took him by the arms and led him over many obstacles up the steep ascent to the chateau st louis he could see nothing but could hear the beating of drums the blowing of trumpets the jeers and shouting of a great multitude in a town which seemed to be full of soldiers and to have its streets heavily barricaded when the bandage was taken from his eyes he found himself in a great room of the chateau before him stood frontenac in brilliant uniform surrounded by the most glittering array of officers which quebec could muster 
the astonished envoy presented a letter from phips it was a curt demand in the name of king william of england for the unconditional surrender of all forts and castles in canada of frontenac himself and all his forces and supplies on such conditions phips would show mercy as a christian should frontenac must answer within an hour when the letter had been read the envoy took a watch from his pocket and pointed out the time to frontenac it was ten o'clock the reply must be given by eleven loud mutterings greeted the insulting message one officer cried out that phips was a pirate and that his messenger should be hanged frontenac knew well how to deal with such a situation he threw the letter in the envoy's face and turned his back upon him the unhappy man who understood french heard the governor give orders that a gibbet should be erected on which he was to be hanged when the bishop and the intendant pleaded for mercy frontenac seemed to yield he would not take he said an hour to reply but would answer at once he knew no such person as king william james though in exile was the true king of england and the good friend of the king of france there would be no surrender to a pirate after this outburst the envoy asked if he might have the answer in writing no thundered frontenac i will answer only from the mouths of my cannon and with my musketry phips could not take quebec in carrying out his plans he was slow and dilatory nature aided his flow the weather was bad the waters before quebec were difficult and boats grounded unexpectedly in a falling tide phips landed a force on the north side of the basin at beauport but was held in check by french and indian skirmishing parties he sailed his ships up close to quebec and bombarded the stronghold but then as now ships were impotent against well-served land defences soon phips was short of ammunition a second time he made a landing in order to attack quebec from the valley of the st charles but french regulars fought with militia and indians to drive off his forces phips held a meeting with his officers for prayer heaven however denied success to his arms if he could not take quebec it was time to be gone for in the late autumn the dangers of the st lawrence are great he lay before quebec for just a week and on the twenty third of october sailed away it was late in november when his battered fleet began to straggle into boston the ways of god had not proved as simple as they had seemed to the puritan faith for the stronghold of satan had not fallen before the attacks of the lord's people there were searchings of heart recriminations and financial distress in boston for seven years more the war endured frontenac's victory over phips at quebec was not victory over the iroquois or victory over the colony of new york in sixteen ninety one this colony sent peter schuyler with a force against canada by way of lake champlain schuyler penetrated almost to montreal gained some indecisive success and caused much suffering to the unhappy canadian settlers frontenac made his last great stroke in july sixteen ninety six when he led more than two thousand men through the primeval forest to destroy the villages of the onondaga and the oneida tribes of the iroquois on the journey from the south shore of lake ontario the old man of seventy-five was unable to walk over the rough portages and fifty indians shouting songs of joy carried his great canoe on their shoulders when the soldiers left the canoes and marched forward to the fight they bore frontenac in an easy chair he did not destroy his enemy for many of the indians fled but he burned their chief village and taught them a new respect for the power of the french it was the last great effort of the old warrior in the next year sixteen ninety seven was concluded the peace of ryswick and in sixteen ninety eight frontenac died in his seventy-ninth year a hoary champion of france's imperial designs the peace of ryswick was an indecisive ending of an indecisive war it was indeed one of those bad treaties which invite renewed war the struggle had achieved little but to deepen the conviction of each side that it must make itself stronger for the next fight each gave back most of what it had gained the peace however did not leave matters quite as they had been 
the position of william was stronger than before for france had treated with him and now recognized him as king of england moreover france hitherto always victorious with generals who had not known defeat was really defeated when she could not longer advance End of chapter one